Crude Audacity Podcast. listening to the crude audacity podcast the podcast that talks shop shit and of course all things strategy with oil patch influencers i am katherine mills and wherever you happen to be today go ahead and leave us a rate and review and if you happen to be watching on youtube go ahead and click that little button down there hit subscribe for us that way you can stay up to date on all things oil energy and of course the crude audacity so now we are going to jump into it everyone If you know me or if you have been watching the podcast or listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I am passionate about building good business. It really doesn't matter whether you are an entrepreneur scaling your business up and down, an innovator, leveraging media, or just looking at the stats and how you make your impact. So I love navigating the narrative of what it means to have good business strategy. And while it may all start with an idea, you don't get anywhere until you have a good pitch. And that is today's topic. So I am joined by the one and only Miss Lindsay Applin of Urban Solution Group. Lindsay, welcome to the Crude Audacity podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining. As you know, this has been a podcast in the making. I'm so excited to finally discuss this topic with you because quite frankly, The concept of pitching, it fascinates me. It doesn't matter if you are an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, a first job, a CEO, or some mid-level management. In every industry, especially in the energy industry, you are always pitching. And there is an art to it. You know, you want to understand your audience. You want to understand how you are coming across during the presentation. And most importantly, you want to own that pitch. You want that confidence. And I know that's something that you have had a plethora of experience with. So how did you get into oil and energy? Why oil and energy? And what are you doing today? Can you just give us the full story? Sure. So I started in oil and energy in 2008, which seems like yesterday, but I guess a few years have gone by. Um, And I, I just kind of fell in my lap a little bit. I was, you know, a couple years out of college. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I had actually gotten a second job waitressing downtown, Um, ended up being at a restaurant that a lot of energy people came to often. So I got to know a few of them, um, got to, you know, some of them became my regulars. So I learned a little bit about the industry that way and then just kind of gained relationships. And they kind of, you know, eventually asked me if I wanted to interview for a position. It was actually a Canadian company that was, you know, looking to expand into the U S. Um, so that sparked my interest right away. And then, um, yeah, I just interviewed with them and it was, a noise mitigation company specifically for oil and gas. And at the time I had no idea what they were talking about, Um, but it sounded interesting. It sounded a little bit challenging. And I liked the fact that it was, um, had the industrial aspect to it. I grew up 
in eastern Colorado in a small town. So it was very, you know, ag based, um, industrial based. So I was always kind of, I guess, intrigued by kind of a mix of the city with, you know, I would go out into the field potentially. So, um, so that's, I think, what kind of sparked my interest initially. And then, so I just kind of jumped in and, you know, had to learn very quickly, you know, what I was, what I was going to be doing. Um, so that was in Dipping, uh, baptizing by fire in this. Yeah, yeah. Drinking from the water hose is what we kind of like to call it. Um, So, yeah, so that was in 2008. And I started with a company, like I said, they were expanding into the U.S. So I kind of wore a lot of hats. I was like their office manager. Um, What I mainly focused on was like inside technical sales. So I would work a lot with the engineers and the designers and the customers and just help, you know, make sure we were providing the right solution to the customer. Um, I never wanted to go into outside sales. I was the person that in college I would literally throw up before speech class because I didn't like talking in front of people. Um, And I was very lucky to have a lot of good mentors at my first, you know, the company that I started in the industry with, I ended up being there for, I guess, about 12 or 13 years. So um, I really did grow up with the company in the US. Um, I got to see a lot of different aspects and work with all the different departments. So that was really, I learned a lot. And then I had a lot of great mentors there too that helped me, you know, pushed me out of my comfort zone, which I didn't like at the time. But now looking back, I know that it was really good for me. Um, And so, yeah, I did. Outside of your zone. Just talking in front of people, um, you know, I kind of wanted to be the person behind a, behind a computer where I didn't have to really talk to people. But as I started going to client meetings and, you know, I mean, my boss at the time, we were doing a lunch and learn for a company. He's five minutes before he's like, OK, you're doing this one. So I didn't have time to get nervous. I just had to do it. Um but, you know, afterwards it felt great. So that's kind of like, you know, drinking from the water fountain. So, um, so yeah, you just, you have to continually challenge yourself and, you know, to grow professionally and personally. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of my story. And then I, so I was with that company for a few years. I actually, um, while I was in that position, met my current employer. Um, they were, I was one of their vendors. So that was kind of a, we always joke and say that it was kind of an, unconventional interview process um full circle circle. yeah yeah so at the time i mean at the time um i met my employer tidy gill and i knew i knew like right off the bat that you know she was somebody that um just of course yeah like i respected her as soon as she walked in the room and started talking i was like wow like you know when you just meet a person you're like i like that person Uh um so i just always i guess right off the bat we kind of had a a good connection i guess and um, I worked with her on a few projects and then, you know, I, I always very much had the same kind of beliefs or values as far as how you work with customers and kind of the standards that you want to withhold for your clients and things like that. Um, so then, you know, eventually the opportunity presented itself and, you know, offered me a position to work with urban and I took it and, um, yeah, so I've only been with Urban actually since March, so it hasn't been that long. However, I have kind of worked with the team previously on a couple projects, so I was familiar with everybody, which made it an easier transition. Um, and I came on board with Urban as more of a business development 
manager role. Um, and then things kind of quickly, I guess, escalated or, you know, with COVID and um, oil pricing. So things, things changed quickly in 2020. So the opportunity again presented itself to step into more of a general manager role. So that's what I'm doing for Urban now, which has been really awesome. Um, so I still, I'm still overseeing business development, but then I also get to be involved in more of the full life cycle, which I enjoy. Um, you know, I don't, I've never been one to just get the purchase order and toss it over my back and then exactly. You're not a burn personality. Yeah, it's hard to do that. You know, you yeah. want to see how it ends up, I guess. Um, so now I'm kind of helping oversee our engineering department and our operations department. So I'm just a little bit more involved in, I guess, all aspects of the whole, you know, sales mm -hmm. to execution life cycle, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I'm learning a lot too. Like I've obviously, um, you know, working a lot with Heidi and then the rest of the team, it's just been, again, drinking from the fire hose, which is good. You never get bored. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so learning a lot and it's been a great opportunity so far. So it's been fun. That's awesome. Well, it's kind of interesting how you made your way into oil and gas. I mean, yes, you liked the ag side of it. I got to say that that's what drew me to the industry as well as I'd have the opportunity to go outside and actually do something. Right. But, you know, you, you built connections, you know, and in a way you were pitching yourself. So this is a very uh, connected full circle discussion on the many faces of what it means to build, recognize, and deliver pitching opportunities. Yeah. So with that in mind, you're starting to tell us more about your story from a sales perspective. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who say they're not in sales. And I'm sorry, but I just, I wholeheartedly disagree with this statement. You might not be a have a sales title, but everyone, you are constantly selling one way or the other, and it is a form of negotiation. So can you sort of take us through, uh, even with the changes you're seeing over at Urban, how, is, what are the faces of selling? Why is everyone in sales and why should we all be embracing this notion? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think everybody, to a certain extent, is a salesperson. Um, you're always selling yourself. I mean, any job interview you go into, you're selling yourself. Um, I think everybody, everybody throughout this, I'll talk about the life cycle of the sales process again. I mean, everybody in the company has a part of that, how it ends up, how it's executed, you know, so everybody needs to have pride in what they're doing or contributing and then, yeah, I mean, you're selling, everybody's a salesperson. If you're walking down the street and you end up, especially in our industry too, you know, sometimes we get a bad rap and as sometimes. to be an advocate of our industry, you know, just try to put a positive, get the positive word out. And it's not like you're trying to, you know, negotiate or, um, you know, get somebody like the greasy car salesman, you know, you just need to be transparent and honest and, show empathy for people. So yeah, I would say at any point you need to be, have your salesperson hat on, even if you're not technically a salesperson, it's um, only going to help you I in any endeavor. I mean, it's, it's company reputation. It's your reputation. It's how you communicate. I mean, thinking that you're just because you're not signing the dotted line to make that contract happen 
to your point, does not mean you aren't a part of the the total build, the deliverable, the you know the execution of it. Right. And embracing that portion, I think, is most important when understanding the pitch and what the the many faces of a pitch, and then what you yourself are bringing to the table. Be you an entrepreneur or you know a first time engineer or field guy or what have you, but let's start breaking down the concept of pitching so when i initially think of pitching i think of i'm sorry i'm an entrepreneur i'm i'm going after an asset i'm trying to build a company of some kind and the reality is is that you're always pitching so where do you see that happening in our industry and how can people recognize when the pitch they need to own their pitch yeah i mean i think you know anytime you're pitching something so first you need to obviously do some research and make sure that there's a need there um you know if you're trying to pitch something to somebody that wouldn't use your product or your service or whatever then it's obviously not going to be as the pot, the outcome's not going to be as well as you would have expected it. Um, so you always have to do your research, make sure there's a business need or a business case. Um, and then, you know, just have confidence and then just um, really go into it and be, I, I mean, I always say you, you, you first need to listen to your customer to see what their problem is. And then you can, you know, try to help them find a solution or an answer to that. If you're not listening, then you're making assumptions and doing all these things and then you just always have to be, like I said, transparent and, you know, have candor, you know, I mean, you, you obviously want to um, set expectations for what your customer is going to experience. So that that way, the whole way through the process, they're kind of going to know what to experience. You don't want to over promise something and under deliver. Um, if anything, you want to, you know, under promise and over deliver, just kind of know where, know where your strengths are and know your, you know, I guess, potential and what you can bring to the table. You know, you don't want to promise something that you can't back up. Well, it's kind of interesting that you you say all that because one of your points there was identifying the need. And that's where everyone has to start. I don't care what you're doing in this industry. That is always where you have to start. And that's a really complicated process. So how do you go through doing the research, recognizing the market, filling the gap or pitching the idea of filling the gap internally before you go external? Because right now the energy space and the oil and gas space are shrinking and our future is, it's a gray blur right now. We don't know which direction we're gonna go. Yeah, yeah no, forecasting is very difficult in 2020. That's for sure. You never know but week even week what's gonna happen. Forecasting, I have this idea or I know that there's a market shrinkage of some form. How, how do you do the research? Where do you start? I mean, I think you start with your network to begin with. I think a lot of times people forget, you know, how connected they are and that they have a huge wealth of information at their fingertips. Um, you know, obviously there's the World Wide Web that can basically give you anything you want. But a lot of the information and feedback that you need is, you know, you just reach out to friends and colleagues within the industry and ask the question. I mean, you're never going to know if you don't ask the question. So I think that's definitely the first place I would start. Um, you know, we're doing something similar at Urban. We, I mean, throughout kind of COVID and the slowdown in the market and everything, we, we can either sit back and, 
write it out and cross our fingers and hope that everything comes back um, or we could figure out, you know, how we can continue to stay relevant and add value to our customers and pivot. So, so we're actually, you know, working on a new product that's been really exciting. Um, I'm very excited for it. Yeah. And we're, um, it's getting closer. So it's kind of slowly making the transition to more of a, a real tangible product that we can start launching soon. Um, but that's where we started. We just started reaching out to our connections and meeting with them and saying like, here's what we're thinking. What would, you know, what would add value for you? Like, where do you have a need for something like this? So that's kind of what I would recommend as a starting point. At any point during that process, because again, it goes back to if you're an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, you know, somewhere in the tier of whatever structure you have, were you ever afraid of reaching out because you had an idea, you still want to protect that idea. But to your point, you have to start asking questions. You have to start doing research. So did you ever run into a situation where you were questioning how you were questioning? Um, I mean, there's always a little bit of hesitation with stuff like that. But I mean, you know, a lot of times there's more risk in not doing something and there's never perfect timing for anything. I mean, you know, whether it's, having a kid or, you know, just launching a new product in a pandemic with a market crash. Um, So I think it's just kind of, you have to take a chance and jump off that ledge every once in a while and go for it. Um, You're not always going to get positive feedback, but negative feedback is valuable too. So I think it's just, you know, you have a, you have a solid idea, you know that there is a business case and we you can provide value to people. So you just kind of dive in and start doing the research and mm-hmm. um, not sharing too much to where your, your secret sauce would get out there and somebody could steal it, but at least kind of building that anticipation and interest. So how are you encouraging your sales team when you're coming up with new products or you're looking to scale up and down contingent upon the pivots we've been faced with in the energy sector? How are you helping them navigate those types of conversations? How much leverage are you giving them, basically? Yeah, I mean, we're, I think we're, we're trying to be strategic in that we're, we're staying focused on kind of our core client base at this time. Um, you know, we're, Urban's a little unique, and that's one reason why I was so honored when the opportunity arose to be a part of the team, because it's not, um, they put a lot of value on, the customer relationships. Um, it's, you know, it's not just a client. There's a lot more to it than that. And you, you put a lot of effort into just customer service, I guess, in general. Um, you know, our customers are kind of like our family in a sense. Like we really try to treat them right in everything we do. So we do like it's in for the long term type of thing. Like we don't just want to do one project with them. Like we want to, once we work with them, we want it to maintain for many, many, many years. Um, So I think we're trying to be strategically focused and, you know, make sure that we prioritize our current clients, but then also we don't want to just have all of our eggs in one basket either. So we we are aware that we need to still be filling the pipeline, but we just need to be strategic about it. You don't want to be spread too thin, but you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. And it's kind of interesting watching the headlines coming out where some people may have kept all their eggs in one basket for the last few years. And whether that was a smart approach or not, I think, I don't think anybody planned for this, but now it's, they didn't give themselves enough rope to uh, 
get themselves out of it either. So, to yeah. so, so, okay. You have this idea, you start researching yourself. I am of the opinion that when you need to take that next step and get out into the, the gap analysis, I'm, that's what I've always been told it's called, but it's really just competitive market research. Cause I know gap stands for other things as well, but how do you start looking? All right. I have this idea. I've got a little bit of buy-in. Now the other half of that need is what are my competitors doing? How can I be unique? And how do you actually go and you know, find quantifiable data on your competitors before you start you know, putting pen to paper? Yeah. I mean, that's, again, that can be tough. I mean, obviously, Again, the World Wide Web is probably the first source you would try to go to. And then, I mean, and just probably just the conversations again with your network or your customers, you know, like questions like, what are you missing? Like, if we could improve anything for you, what would it be? So I would go, I mean, straight to the horse's mouth. You know, you're going to be getting business from these people. So you want to know what their what their need is. So that's probably... Um, and then, you know, you don't, you never want to, I guess, talk down about competition because everybody needs competition. Competition um, is a good thing. People yeah, are exactly. Bad. And everybody, you know, everybody's trying to make a living. So, um, so yeah, I think you just do your research, learn as much as you can, and then try to add more value where you can. Are you identifying, um, metrics when you're doing these competitor analysis? So this is what I'm pitching. This is my idea. This is how it stacks up against said competitor A and B. Yeah. How are you formulating that? Because at that point, there's no bench for what is good or what is bad as you're coming up with new products or hell, if you're like me, I like the, uh, the naivety card. Yeah. As long as I don't know about it, I just keep in my own lane and therefore it doesn't. Yeah. Exist. Yeah. There's definitely that aspect to it too. Um, I mean, yeah. And there is, you know, one side of it is you just, you know, you have a good idea. You're committed to doing it. Failing is not an option. So you just go and I like your, you know, be naive about it. And the, I mean, maybe there's not a competition and then you're really on the right track, you know? That could be fun, but in this day and age, even though there might not be initial competition, it's always following you one way. Yeah, or yeah, it's not far behind, that's for sure. But if you're if you're having a hard time finding something to compare, like apples to apples, with what you're doing, that's a good thing. Yes, I absolutely agree. So now you've got your elements of your pitch. Again, internal, external, entrepreneur, building a line of business expanding into a new market what what are the elements that you how do you go about identifying the elements that are most important to what you then need to start presenting internally so that you can go external i mean that i think it's based on the feedback from the customers and it's probably not going to be the same on every project or with every customer everybody kind of has certain needs um so you need to be I guess general enough so what you're offering appeals to the masses but have the flexibility to be you know have a customized solution when you need it if that answers your question i guess yeah but i'm also thinking about the metrics like you've done this market research now what do you actually present from that research 
to as, as you're pitching as you're pitching yeah yeah um i mean yeah i mean data always you can't argue with data so i think if you can use numbers then that is probably the the best solid approach to do it and then obviously you know you have to have passion and excitement about what you're pitching and then like transparency you know and candor and if you can and if you can also take the business side out of it a little bit, I mean, everything is always, you know, business, business, business. But then as you're pitching with somebody, if you can find some common ground to just kind of grow that relationship and grow that trust to make somebody remember you mm-hmm. as, you know, when, you know, they might not have a need for your product or service right at that instant, but you want them to remember you. So when they do have a need, you're who comes to mind. So you're like, you know, you want to become the guy or the girl for sound walls or whatever the need yeah. is. What? So that that's actually a really cool like spin on it. How are y'all managing or how have you managed rather the non-quantifiable data? You know, it's not all about our industry's change. You, it's not just about taking someone to lunch five days a week until they sell you something. There, there's something else that, you know, in every pitch, that doesn't really have a measurement to it, but there is value. So how are you presenting that side of the equation to, you know, cover the full, come full circle with it? You know, that's, that's tough. I'd almost say that you would want to, I think as you're pitching with somebody, like at the beginning of the process, I think really the way to like, quantify it or I don't know I mean I think you just need to back up what you're saying I think a lot of times and that's hard to track I guess so that's kind of what came to mind when you asked me how do you track the intangible items or pieces of a sale um you know I think a lot of times people talk a big game but they don't deliver or execute or you know follow through so I think that to me is one of the biggest things that you can do to just kind of you know guarantee that you're going to get repeat business or something like that just do what you say you're going to do and then you're going to automatically gain the trust of somebody and they're gonna they're gonna remember that or so you know and solve their problem at the same time hopefully so when you're working towards leaving that impact let's say um you you've got a first meeting a first encounter and you could be going asking for anything in this particular case I'm always a fan of having at least a one pager in my backpack or something like that, but a lot of people don't like paper. So what are your thoughts on when you're meeting a new contact or you're trying to further an existing relationship, leverage an existing relationship? How do you start that initial pitch conversation? And honestly, do elevator pitches even work anymore? I don't know. I don't know if elevator pitches are necessarily my style. Um, I mean, I honestly try to, we talked about you're always selling yourself. So at the, you know, the first time I'm meeting somebody, I almost just more try to build a relationship, see if it's something that can grow. Um, And it goes both ways, you know, you want to make sure that you're you know, that it's somebody that you would want to work with and somebody that would want to work with you. And then once you kind of gain that relationship or that trust, then I think that's when you can sprinkle business into it a little bit more. 
Um, because I, I mean, you're gonna buy, you're gonna buy from somebody that you like, right? So I think you first need to sell yourself, and then you can talk about uh, business needs of the person, and then you know decide on which what solution you have to fill that need. So don't lead with the sale. I don't think so. No, no. <laughs> Do you foresee? I mean, the market is shrinking. It's a more competitive market and people are still using old tactics. So, but we don't always have the luxury anymore of, I mean, in some places I've been, but you'll get guys just rolling up to other work sites and being like, how much are they doing it? I'll do it for this much. Yeah, it is becoming much more cutthroat. So yes. with the market shrinking, and again, this people don't realize that this is happening across all forms of energy right now because it's happening to oil and gas. And I mean, the correlations are quite strong. So when you're running into a situation where you and your team have to be more competitive, what are you doing that's actually working? Because when someone rolls up to one of my sites and I've already got everyone set up, all you're doing is annoying me at that point. <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right that it is cutthroat right now. I mean, the, the number of opportunities out there is lower than normal. So oh, everybody... You have to go create them yourself. They're not out there to go chase. Yeah, yeah. No, you have to claw and dig and find any opportunity that you can. And like you said, it's um, it's cutthroat right now. I mean, we're definitely you know, building off of the relationships with our customers that we have. And we've, you know, really tried to look at it, not just a customer vendor relationship, but more of a partnership. Um, so how we can, you know, really work with them to help us both ride out this market as yeah. it is. So that's kind of what I would say. I mean, obviously you've, you've got to be more competitive too. I mean, you know, you still have to, showcase the value that you bring to the table but it's definitely very competitive right now for sure how so outside of the the business aspect how can individuals be more competitive in a shrinking market especially for those who want to stay and there are quite a few who want to stay yeah but, you know it, it's not it doesn't work with just word of mouth anymore you know you need yeah. a little more oomph so yeah. what are you seeing yeah, no, I mean, I think you have you have to stay positive, obviously. I mean, it's very easy this year to get, you know, you get knocked down, you have to get back up again over and over and over. Um, 2020 is definitely, I think, a harder year than any of us have probably had to go through just in general, you know. I, I well, mean, it's new. It's completely new. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, it's crazy. But I really just think, I mean, I feel like, I'm a broken record repeating it, but I think you just really have to concentrate on the connections that you have with people. Um, I mean, we kind of talked about it at the beginning, but you, you know, you never know the oil and gas industry, especially is a very small world and yeah. you never know where your paths might cross again. So, you know, if you're working with an engineer on a project and you think it might be the only time you ever work with him or something like that, I mean, you never know where you might see them again. You might be working with them or they may, you know, have some sort of opportunity that could help you or you could help them. So I would just say, you know, you got to stay out there. You need to stay relevant. Um, continue to try to be creative and how you can create value for 
your customers, your colleagues, your coworkers, everybody, and just kind of help everybody write it out. Are you looking for new markets to move into where you otherwise probably wouldn't? Because that's a whole new ballgame as well. I mean, there are a bunch of small service companies um, throughout the energy sector, and they only had to work within a 50-mile radius. And now... Do yeah, they or do they go home? Do they go home? What do they do? Definitely something that's on our radar. Um, again, there's there's a cost associated with doing things like that as well. So you have to be strategic about it and look at the numbers. So we're I kind of go back to you know we're we're mildly looking at ex, you know expansion into different regions. I guess you could call it. However, we're you know we're smart about putting a large investment in it at this point, but we, so we're, I would say we're ready to go if we need to be. However, we're just watching the, you know, the upfront spend in order to do so. Are you seeing other small operators? What are you seeing happen? Cause I know you're out, you're sitting there, you're talking to everyone still. I mean, you're, you really do have a pulse on how people are adjusting. So how, what are you noticing across uh, the market for some of the smaller guys? How are they staying afloat and what are they doing that might be impressive to you? Or what have you seen that you might say, you know, if you're doing that, you need to reevaluate? <laughs> I mean, I think, it, I think a lot of people, I mean, if you were in a good situation going into kind of the market downturn, I think you're obviously able to write it out a lot a lot better or a lot longer. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people are either saying, sit back, let's just write it out. Let's, you know, minimize our expenses. Let's cut, let's save where we can. And then when the market comes back, then we can kind of play ball again. And then there's others who are trying to like us figure out how they can diversify, how they can kind of pivot and, you know, not have all their eggs in one basket, which I mean, maybe that's oil and gas, or maybe that's just one, you know, customer. So I think people are just getting creative in how they're doing things. Um, is there anything you're seeing that is obviously on its way out the door in terms of uh, survival techniques? I don't think so. I mean, I've been more impressed with kind of the creativeness that people are figuring figuring out as far as how to survive. Okay. I mean, not just specifically oil and gas, but restaurants, for example, have like the outdoor little like yeah. inflatable igloos, you know? So I think people really figure out what to do when they're pushed up against a wall. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like survival mode kind of. So that's what's been kind of interesting for me to watch is you know, we're put up against the wall. So it's either like, okay, well, it's this or we got to shut the door type of thing. So it's been really cool to see kind of what companies are coming up with. Are you seeing on your team, um, you know, I, I like to say entrepreneur, entrepreneur, solopreneur, all of those, because I, I think they all have a, a individual segment um, in the market. But we're also seeing managers get more creative with their lines of business to keep their teams. Um, are you seeing any of that sort of entrepreneur working on your business uh, happening in house? And what is what's unique about that? Because it used to be, you know, you just had your numbers to hit, but now people are, like you said, they're up against the wall. They're getting creative. Yeah. What is that creativity you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, we've got. 
I would say we've got, you know, when things slow down, that's when you have more time to, to really look at things. So when you're busy and everything's moving so fast, you, you just want to get the job done and you don't have so much time to look more grand, you know, more granular at the process and everything like that. So I think I would say that that's what our team's kind of objective was at the beginning of the market slowdown was, you know, we're going to take this time and really reevaluate and making sure that we're being efficient with everything we're doing. Where can we improve the process? Um, and then that's kind of, uh, we've also kind of given our employees the the flexibility to say, if you think something can be done better, then let's do it. And then also, you know, for example, like our engineering services have increased over the slowdown. So we've really had some people step up internally um, to help kind of diversify our, just our engineering services that we've provided historically before that. So that's been cool to see. Are they getting are they getting any sort of perks for thinking outside the box? I've kind of heard through the grapevine that um, some people are getting kickbacks of some kind, like, hey, you did this and, you know, we're going to support you through some sort of like, I call it a bonus, but I don't think that's the right word for it. So are you seeing that anywhere, that, that extra incentive to encourage the creativity? Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't know what other companies are doing, but what I do like about Urban is um, they're always very much giving back to their employees and investing in their employees. Um, so it's, it's, we don't have one like thing that we say, oh, if you have a good idea or if you improve this, you know, here's what you get. It's kind of just, we kind of figure it out as we go, but we always make sure that we, you know, let that person know that they're doing a job and they're in the right direction and make sure that they get rewarded and recognized for it. See, I love that because the old ways of the oil field, you just came into your nine to five and you don't get a pat on the back for doing your job. But now you get rewarded for being the creative one, the challenger, yeah. the innovator. And yeah. that's that to me tells me that there's a lot of good coming out of this this pivot itself. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting oil field, I think. Yeah, it's it's kind of the new the next generation of oil field, which is um, yeah, that's one thing that, like I said before, my kind of core values really really aligned with Urban's um, as far as just the culture and you know how employees are treated and kind of the work life balance that comes with it. So um, so yeah, that's one thing that's always like super high on our awareness, I guess. So for those small guys who are still, you know, they are the fighters and they're doing their damnedest, but they've never had to reach outside of their 50 mile radius. Do you have any tips for them on how to gain more of an audience, more of a name recognition? Do you have any tips for them on how to sort of gain more leverage through economical means? What, what might be a way to sort of expand your reach? that you probably wouldn't have leveraged otherwise? I mean, in my experience, when I've tried to, um, at my previous role, we expanded, we were based in Colorado and then ended up expanding out into the Pennsylvania market. So I was pretty involved in that. Um, and I mean, at that time, boots on the ground was very important. So, you know, like actually physically going out there, visiting for weeks at a time, getting to know the lay of the land, um, meeting people, growing that network out there. So, you know, just doing your research, making sure there is an opportunity before you, you know, fully set up shop. 
things like that. Yeah. Um, so that would probably be my first recommendation. And then, you know, always kind of think about what resources you can get for a minimal cost. I mean, social media is not great for so many things, but if you use it right, as far as a marketing tool, when you're trying to keep costs down, I mean, I think it can be a great kind of channel to get your name and, you know, get that out there. So are y'all seeing in, any success in that digital realm? Um, well, we're kind of, we haven't really started pushing it too much yet. Um, but that's the plan, I think. So very cool. Yeah. So coming full circle, you know, you make your pitch, there's no point to lead with paper, lead with personality, the reputation. First, they like you, then they trust you, then you pitch to them. Mm -hmm. How are you forecasting? And how are you deciding to manage your team? It, I mean, we don't know what's around the corner. So I have half this argument that forecasting is always wrong. <laughs> but you can't operate like that. So what are y'all doing to, you know, predict whatever it might be called? Yeah, I mean, forecasting is definitely much more difficult this year um, as compared to previous years, I guess you could say, just because there are so many unknowns, you know, with um, COVID and everything else. But I think, I mean, what you, you know, historically what you do is you look at, act, you know, look at activity, um, look at trends, you know, hopefully you're tracking that stuff internally. Um, and then that just helps you obviously get an idea of, you know, this time last year, this is what it was. This is, you know, the first quarter, this is kind of the activity that we have operators looking at. And then just, again, asking the question, talk to your customers, ask them what you, I think a lot of times you, you know, you think you're going to be pushy by asking your customers those questions. But in reality, in my mind, by asking them so you can be more proactive in the activity that is coming, coming up, then that's just going to help you service them better. So, um, so in my mind, just don't be afraid to ask the question. Do you think quotas will still be a thing in the oil field after uh, after all of this? Because, I mean, everybody used to chase that number. They had yeah. to know you have to hit the 35% or what have you. And do you risk losing your best guy because all of his customers had to, you know, close shop for a little while? I mean. You know, I, I hope not in all honesty. I mean, I think if you've had one employee that's been like a superstar for you know previously and then something crazy kind of happened and there's you know one month that he didn't hit quota I mean I don't think that's ethically what you should do you know how you should hold an employee to standards I guess I mean um, hopefully not I don't know though I mean that's a tough question it probably depends on each specific company and you know how they're gonna look after post COVID if we ever get there. So uh, hopefully we'll get there. I'm kind of yeah. over it. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, no, I was hoping we were. And then I think we're headed in the opposite direction, unfortunately. Unfortunately. So. Well, now that we are potentially headed in the opposite direction, what are some of the big top of mind questions you have out there that you're, you're currently searching to have answers to? Like, what are you sort of mulling around in your head? 
top of mind is definitely childcare. No. <laughs> um, oh, honey, get yourself some Benadryl because if they annoy you, or maybe some melatonin. If they yes, I stock up on melatonin. That's going to be one of the first things that runs out of stock, and you can't find it in addition to toilet paper, right? Oh, um, that's already out now. <laughs> oh my gosh! See, I'm I'm behind the game. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough. Like we, you know, we just went through the election, so we kind of know what the outcome is. Um, and then we have the COVID numbers ramping up again. I mean, I just think my biggest question is when are we going to get back to some sort of normal, or is this the new normal? Um, I mean, I think you know a lot of us have figured out how to continue to operate and you know run a business and continue on with life throughout all of this craziness. So thank goodness for technology. I mean, video chatting. I don't know what we would. I don't know what we would do without that. If we would have been in a shutdown prior to that. Um, so yeah. I mean, I think my. You know, from from your market research and what you're seeing happen across like the geopolitical spectrum, how much longer are y'all predicting? Is it going to be a shitty 2021? I mean, I think unfortunately we were initially hoping that it would get better. You know mid 2021 but now i think the predictions are closer to like a market recovery in 2022 which is a little bit longer than we expected um hopefully if oil prices continue to hover where they are like 40 ish 45 then people can figure out how to operate you know um profitably in that environment so let's just hope they don't go negative again <laughs> oh yeah no kidding well, Lindsay, this has been such a fun conversation because, you know, there are so many elements. People think of pitches in very odd ways. And like you said, it's just, it's everywhere. It's everything you're doing. You're always selling. And, you know, putting this episode together, I learned so much because, you know, you don't really think about these little boots on the ground or these unquantifiable uh, benefits, you know, that you need to account for and how do you present them? And while everything is unique to your point, there is some sort of template, some sort of structure, but you're going to have to be the one that understands that because you've done the research. Sure. So before I let you go, what is a book podcast or other resource that has brought you value on your oil field and energy journey? <laughs> um, but that you would recommend to someone else who's looking to, you know, make a sell or to move some, move. The yeah. I mean, the one that I listen to sometimes, um, it's a podcast called business unusual and it's by the lady Bob Barbara Cochran from shark tank, which, oh. um, a little corny maybe, but she has a variety of speakers, entrepreneurs that come on every now and then and kind of share their story, which is interesting to hear you know, everybody kind of in some way or, you know, they always kind of go through the same challenges and it just kind of is interesting to hear how people navigate that. Yeah. Um, and then there's always kind of just little tidbits on how to, you know, stay positive in challenging times in the sales world and stuff like that. So that's probably the one that more often than not, I listen to right now. So that's awesome. No, if heck, if it helps someone think outside the box, and that's more power to them. And they're short. They're not. So you know, I'm I work full time, and I'm a mom. So they're short and sweet, which is good for me. So <laughs> wonderful. That matters. Yes, <laughs> you'd be surprised, but time, time is, is time is limited. <laughs> 
Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you. It really gets the juices flowing, and I greatly appreciate your tips, tricks, insights, and what's worked for you. Because honestly, there's no point in listening to someone who hasn't been there and done it themselves. And I appreciate you taking the time to pay it forward. So yeah, no, thank you so much. This was fun. I appreciate you having me. <laughs>